You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. So yeah, we're starting Advent. We decided we would do a prequel because without fail, we always do an intro for whatever thing we're doing. And if you did that the first week, then you're cutting into the time that you have to talk about the first week of Advent. So we were like, why don't we just start it a week earlier? And I've been slowly sneaking Christmas songs into the rotation for, I don't know, three weeks now, I think. Whether or not they've noticed them, uh, much to Kyle's chagrin. He's giving me the stink eye over there. <laughs> it's fine. The question that I want to start us with today, though, is what does it mean for you to celebrate Christmas? Um, What does that look like for you? Think about for a moment, what does Christmas entail for you? Uh, Maybe that's the tradition of going out and chopping down a tree. I heard Scott talking about that this morning. Um, That's been the last couple of years I've gone out to do that. That was pretty fun. Maybe it's putting up Christmas lights. That's my brother's tradition. He does that on Halloween. Uh, both for the safety's sake of being up on the roof and it not being icy, hypothetically, at October 31st, but also because he doesn't like Halloween and likes Christmas more, so let's just start it early. Apparently, it's a daily thing. Um, Maybe it's uh, Rob and and his family. He he mentioned that uh, they've gotten into the Black Friday shopping, and they, they they do Thanksgiving and then a little Black Friday, and then they come home and they decorate for Christmas. And they get the tree put up, and that kind of moves them into their Christmas season. Um, so think for a second of what that means for you to celebrate Christmas. And then the next question is, are you willing to invest in the, op- in the opportunity this year to celebrate? To not just let it be the rhythms that we go through, the things that we do that are just year after year, maybe a Christmas concert, although this year's done a really good job of kind of making that weird. A lot of us that travel probably can't do that as much, might not have the big Christmas parties that we normally would. So I think that this year is a good year for us to take the opportunity to internalize and look towards Advent as this time of preparation to really invest in the season, to really invest in what it's about. We as Christians love to say, you know, we want to put Christ back in Christmas. Well, I think this is the year to do it. I don't think he ever left, personally. I never took him out of my Christmas. I don't know what everybody else was doing. Got busy with the red, red cups from Starbucks or something. But uh, will you just float through the season or are you going to invest? So let's talk about where Christmas comes from a little bit, because what sort of intro to Advent wouldn't be, wouldn't be, it just wouldn't be complete without me talking about, you know, Christmas traditions and maybe, you know, sticking it to a couple of them. We'll see how, we'll see how much I get into that. But uh, Christmas originally, uh, at least the Christian version of Christmas, became synonymous with these uh, solstice celebrations back in the Roman Empire. Right? You had these solstice celebrations about the coming of spring. One of these that was very popular, I'm going to murder this, was the Dies Solis Invicti Nati. Oh, that wasn't too bad. Nailed it, maybe. I don't know. Somebody tell me if I'm wrong. Info at missionridge.church. Uh, 
But it translates to, and I can get this one right because it's English, day of the birth of the unconquered sun. Right? You've got this new sun coming out. The days are going to get longer. And as, you've got, as the days get shorter, we understand this up in the northern hemisphere, up, up in the, the frigid north of Montana, where the days get ridiculously short. Right? And, and you, about this time of year, I start feeling it, where I'm looking around, why is it so late? But it's only 7 o'clock. And it really messes with me because I'm a night owl and there's no daylight for me to work with anymore. Um, there's plenty of times where I come out there. I, I remember in college in Moscow, I would come out of, I would go into the practice room uh, or into, into class and I would spend the day in the music building and then I would come out and I would have never seen the sun and living in a, or I mean, working, not living, definitely not living in a basement office. Uh, there's ne- that never occurs now. But uh, that's, that's something that we would celebrate, and I think we can identify with the need for that, right? We would be excited about the days getting longer. And so Christians took this, and they, we kind of latched onto it, um, and we, we made this an opportunity to celebrate the coming of the other light of the world. That works out nicely. Other, other traditions that uh, we've kind of picked up on in the church would be like gift-giving, right? <clears throat> Dates back to the 15th century at least. And uh, we use this in the church. I've heard, you know, I've heard it explained that this is a God's gift of Jesus and we celebrate that by giving gifts. I like that. That seems, seems like a good idea. Uh, celebrating that the, or remembering that the Magi brought the gifts to Christ. We, we celebrate in that way. Cool. Uh, even St. Nicholas, even Santa Claus has his tradition in the church. St. Nicholas. He would ask the kids, uh, kind of a, it seems like it was kind of a confessional time. This is the asking them how they've behaved, etc. Fun little fact, the traditioning of opening gifts on the 25th in North America so we celebrate it on the 25th as opposed to the 24th, which happens over in Europe. They, do, they did their gifts on the 24th in the evening a lot of times. Um, and then they would go to church on the 25th. You would go to mass on the 25th or, or whatever, whatever church you were in. But here in America, that's kind of ended the practice of going to church on the 25th and doing a service on the 25th, at least in the uh, evangelical and the non-denom and all of, all of us heathen churches, Right? The, the low church, if they will. Uh, high church services, Catholic Mass, Episcopalian, and uh, I think Anglican does it too. They still do them on the 25th. But uh, that ended it for, and so we took the secular thing and it kind of corrupted what we do with our liturgical services. So it works both ways. We can take the, the pagan celebrations and we can turn it into something godly and Christ-like. Or it can work the other way around, and then you have to pull what the Puritans did, and they actually outlawed the celebration of uh, Christmas when they came over here. They were like, no Christmas for you, because, well, it was all gift-giving, and they thought it was secular, so they just got rid of it. It went full Grinch. But, uh, so the, the, the point being, if we're intentional about what we do with Christmas, if we're intentional about how we observe the season, I think it can have a positive or a negative outcome, depending on which way you go. How about Advent? So we're gonna we're gonna we go through Advent here at Mission Ridge. 
this is somewhat because I really like Advent, and that was a tradition that I had growing up. And so when we were talking about traditions that we would do or aspects, are we going to do Lent? Well, I've never done Lent, but we thought it was a cool idea. So now we do Lent here at Mission Ridge. Advent, I was like, yes, we should do Advent. And we should have an Advent wreath, and we should have candles, because I like them. That was kind of my driving force, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> but then we, we dug into it, and we've done this the last couple of years, and I really, really enjoy this season. I really, I enjoy the tradition and the, the, the depth of the history that it brings. Now, Advent started to show up in the 4th uh, or the 5th century, this was uh, possibly tied with the season of Epiphany, right? Uh, and Epiphany, you can dive down a huge long rabbit hole, which I might or might not have done, uh, on the history of this. But most of the time, it's celebrated on the 6th of January. And originally, it was this season of Advent was this preparation time for new Christians who were going to be baptized on Epiphany. <clears throat> And so the, these Christians, and they would celebrate it on Epiphany, and that they, sep- they celebrated Jesus' baptism there for whatever reason. Uh, there was a theory about it being read incorrectly out of Luke. Um, and so they thought it was like eight days after, or somebody, I don't know how you misread that story. But then they ended up celebrating it twice, and it was very convoluted. But nonetheless, we have Epiphany. And it also got tied in with the Magi, uh, so that was kind of epiphany. And then eventually it became part of Christmas because that's all falling in the same season. So Advent got tied to Christmas. And originally it was more of the second coming that they were waiting for, right? That we're anticipating the second coming. And that's what Advent was a little bit. Uh, Rob alluded to that a little bit. And then it, be, it slowly shifted over the years and became more of what we know today of anticipating the birth of Christ. But I think we should also be anticipating the second coming, the second advent, if you will. Let's get a twofer on this one. Now, advent, the word adventus, uh, comes from the Greek word parousia, which I might be saying right. I don't know. It's all Greek to me. It translates to the coming, okay? Uh, The coming of the Lord. It's literally in the name. We're anticipating the coming of him. And this, this anticipation, this waiting, this, this yearning for, this awaiting the Lord, we see this represented in the Advent wreath. Although here, because we do things different, we have a log with holes in it. Because who wants a wreath when we could have a log? We're so strange here. It's fine. <laughs> it's roughly right. Uh, anyway, the wreath was invented as we know it, by this guy, Johann, uh, Johann Heinrich Wickern, maybe? I think we got his picture. There we go. What a stunner. Uh, yeah, Johann Heinrich Wickern. He was a German, he was a German uh, priest or pastor. I don't know if he was a priest. He might have been, uh, been out of the Catholic Church. Not sure. Um, but he was teaching children. And so uh, you all know kids. It's the, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Joy, when you're working with the kids during Christmas time, how crazy do they get? They lose their minds. Uh, Anybody who's been a teacher, you know that like the weeks leading up to a holiday, the kids start going crazy for Christmas. It's the entire month before. Just imagine that, right? And so this guy's teaching kids, and, and as, as, a, 
as a, an option to help deal with their anticipation. I, I imagine it came from the, is it Christmas yet? Is it Christmas yet? Is it Christmas yet? Can I open the presents yet? I imagine it came from that that he comes up with this wreath that became a countdown clock, if you will. And his was much more, there was a lot more fire involved. He had like 20 some candles and it was like, and then you had four center candles and like, it was, it was a lot of fire, which fire and flammable wreaths and children seems like a bad idea, but I'm glad he did it anyway. I'm super stoked that he did that. And that was in 1839. And it helped with the impatience of children. Now, eventually, we get to our modern day, which looks like that with the, the circular or a long row of, uh, of candles. And we've got four candles in most wreaths or possibly five. So we've got hope. We have peace. We have joy, which is the odd-colored one. And then we have love. And those are the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And then on Christmas Eve, we celebrate by lighting the Christ candle, which is the big fat white one in the middle. That's the fun one, right? And so as we go along, it's this, it's this building, it's building in, in intensity because we, we light more fire and it builds in intensity throughout the season, right? We've got these burning candles to remind us and we see this kind of countdown and there's all this symbology in it. It helps us prepare. It helps us anticipate the coming of Christ that we celebrate on Christmas Eve. And then hopefully we continue through the next, I would hope that we continue through the next couple of days, hopefully, remembering Christ. So let's take a minute here and let's, uh, <clears throat> let's dive in and remind ourselves what we're actually anticipating. Let's review maybe a story of anticipation. So we're going to get this out of Matthew, first chapter, verses 18 through 25. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Uh-oh. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. This is what the prophet says. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, if you've been in the church, you've probably heard a sermon or two of these uh, uh, on these passages uh, over the course of your time. They tend to come up around Christmas, usually gets hit on there. Uh, this one gives us an interesting look at Joseph, which I, I appreciate. Uh, I think we talked about it last year that Joseph is a really good dude. We see this in this passage. He could have had Mary stoned. Um, he could have brought down the law on her, like, this is, this is a travesty. 
but he doesn't. He, he was just, even before God shows up, he was just going to quietly divorce her. And it makes a point of saying he's a man, he's a man of the law. He's an upright man. Makes a big deal out of saying this. <clears throat> and then we get this prophecy, which we're pretty familiar with. And some of us might even know where it comes from, right? You might be able to say, yeah, that comes out of Isaiah. But do you know the story around this prophecy? Maybe not. Well, let's go read it. <clears throat> now, hang on tight, because this is a weird one. There are so many names that I'm going to get so very, very wrong, probably. And you're going to be, we're going to read this first section, and you're just going to be thinking, oh, Lordy, what is going on? This is why people don't read the Old Testament. This is why we, this is why we don't like it, because it's confusing and it's convoluted. We're going to make it through this. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Yotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. That is a beautiful line. They are terrified. And the Lord said to Isaiah, go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shir Jashub, which is possibly the worst name to name anybody. Your son at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. If you need to insult somebody, I submit that for your consideration. Smoldering stump of firebrand. Uh, at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramalia, which is possibly another insult, uh, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and let, the son of Tabil as the, uh, and let us set up the son of Tabil as the king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass, for the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin, and within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people, and the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. All right, pause. What the heck is going on in this passage? There was about a gazillion names. They all don't make sense, and it's all convoluted, Right? Let's break this down. In this, we've got the northern kingdom. This is the time when the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom are split. Uh, this northern kingdom is referred to as Ephraim, as Israel, or son of Ramalia. It's uh, this king, Pekah. He only gets mentioned at the beginning. And then after that, it's always son of Ramalia. This is God kind of sticking it to him. It's, an, it's like the, I'm not even gonna, I won't even say his name. There you go. Now, this northern kingdom wants to team up with Syria, the nation of Syria, which is referred to as Aram or Rezin, right? This is the, this is the king, Aram. <clears throat> and they want to terrorize Judah, which is Ahaz, because he won't join their anti-Assyrian alliance, or AAA, as I'm calling it. 
<clears throat> now, why do they want to form this AAA? Well, they want to form this AAA because the king of Assyria, so you got Syria and Assyria, they want to form this because the king of Assyria is a big greedy dude, and they're a huge nation, and they're scared of Assyria. And so Syria and the northern kingdom get together, and they want Judah to join them in their little band of uh, try not to get taken over. Judah doesn't want to. And God doesn't want Judah to join them. Okay? Now, Ahaz doesn't want to join them, not because God doesn't want him to, but because he just doesn't want to team up with the northern kingdoms. He's, he's afraid of them too. So that's what's going on here. And the Lord sends Isaiah with his son, <clears throat> Shir Jashub, which means a remnant shall remain. So while the name sounds ridiculous, the meaning of it is actually kind of important. It's saying, he's saying that if, if Ahaz decides to stand firm with God, if Ahaz stands firm with God, then this remnant, he could be a part of that. You could be on the right side of this. Destruction is coming because it's going to be a remnant. Destruction is coming, but you could be on the right side of things here, Ahaz. You have a choice to stand firm with God. Now, let's be clear. Ahaz is a total jerk. He uh, burnt his son as an offering. Not a good dude. You can read about him in 2 Kings uh, chapter 16. It's where this all kind of comes, comes into play. <clears throat> but uh, even, though, even though he's a jerk, God's still willing to allow him to come back into his design, which that's, that's a kind of a, a lesson on God's grace there. Another sermon for another time, maybe. Constantly willing to bring us back into his designs. But he ends this passage with the stand firm. Basically, God's saying, if you don't rely on me, it doesn't matter what you do, it's going to fail. So what is Ahaz's response? We pick it up in verse 10 here. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as the heavens, deep as the oceans or high as the heavens. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Which initially sounds like, oh yeah, don't test the Lord your God. God literally just told him, ask for us. Ask for a sign. When God tells you to ask for a sign, ask for a sign. Spoiler alert, it works out better that way. <clears throat> and he doesn't want to do this because he's already got it. He's already got this figured out. He's got a plan. And then Isaiah says, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to, to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. If you're not going to ask for one, God's still going to give you one. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Oh, that's where that falls. Now, if you're reading the prophecy here in Isaiah, that sounds like something that's going to happen within the next couple of years. And we know the story that 
yeah, the northern kingdoms fall. And, and Assyria comes in and puts the trump on them, right? But we also know that Judah ends up being sent into exile. The nation gets sent into Babylon. So this prophecy, from that sense, seems like it's kind of fulfilled. That there was a, apparently there was a, a, a boy that was born. So what's Ahaz's response here? He says this response that he has is, nah, I'm good. Nah, brah, I'm good. Don't need God's help on this one. He's got a plan. He's going to go up to the king of Assyria. He's going to go up to him and he's going to say, hey, big guy, want to protect me from these two guys that don't like you? And he goes up and he bribes him with treasure from the temple, which is a no-no. That's not such a good idea. And then he also becomes enamored with the God of Assyria and brings it back and builds an altar in the temple to this foreign God, which is also not a great idea. Ahaz is not, like, he's swinging and missing all over the place here. You read that again in 2 Kings 16 if you want. Ahaz has put his faith in God, or he has put his faith not in God, but in a kingdom of the world. Instead of looking to God to provide hope, instead of looking to God to be his his strength, instead of standing firm in this, putting his faith in the Lord, he turns to what seems to be a more attractive option. He turns to the Assyrian option, if you will. He turns to this bright and shiny thing, the immediate satisfaction, thinking that he has a better plan. He has a better way. And I I can't help but think that this is the opposite of what Joseph responds to in his scenario. And I think that's why the angel brings this up to him. I think that's why the angel brings up this prophecy. And it's got, because God is really cool, it's also got the aspect of, it's like doubly fulfilled, if you will. That's cool. But the angel brings this up, and I can't help but think that Joseph, who's an upright, godly man, would probably know this story and would probably make the connection and realize that he has a choice here to stand firm in God or not. Stand firm with what God is calling him to do or not, because this is not going to be easy. You've, heard the, you've probably heard the Christmas story told a decent number of times where they don't glitz and glam it up, and they say, yeah, no, Mary and Joseph were probably social pariahs within their own family. This was child out of wedlock, not, this is not cool. You're breaking all sorts of traditions. You're playing Christmas music way before Halloween, and people are not okay with it. (laughs) It's fine. You do you. So on one hand, we have Ahaz not putting his faith in God, and on the other hand, we have Joseph very much putting his faith in God, juxtaposed in these two stories. Both are going to go through a rough time and they take two very separate paths. Which brings us to our implication and our next steps today. 
Our implication is Advent is a time of preparation and anticipation in the darkest days of the year for the arrival of the light of the world. I'm throw that one up there. It's a time of preparation and anticipation. And it falls in the darkest time of the year. We're anticipating the arrival of the light of the world. That's some cool imagery right there. We get to internal, we get to internalize, we get to become introspective on the choices that we've made, the situations that we find ourselves in, and the things that God calls us to. We've been talking about that a lot this year, about experiencing God, about um, Sabbath, ways to connect with God. This has been a driving thing that we've wanted to experience, that we've wanted to get into this year is experiencing God. And I think that Advent is yet another perfect time to do that. And so our next steps for this implication of what do we do with this time of preparation and anticipation? What do we do with this? Our first one is, where do you find your hope, your peace, your joy, your love? This is the question. I want you to wrestle with these. And we're going to go through each of these over the course of the next four weeks. But start wrestling with the question now. Where do you find your hope? Is it found in, is it found in Christ? That's the, that's the Sunday school answer. I think we'd all enjoy the Sunday school answer, right? But when I start to think about the times where things get difficult, what do I turn to? When things get tough, do I turn to the Assyrian option? 2020 has been tough for a lot of people. It's stripped away a lot of things. It's created hardships. I think it's a really good time to ask yourself, where do I turn to? Do I lean into Christ? Do I stand firm? Or do I find myself sometimes seeking that Assyrian option? Do I put my hope in, I don't know, some political party's agenda? Do I find my joy in scrolling through Facebook until I find that next meme with Baby Yoda. Is that, is that where I find my joy? Because things are tough and so I retreat into that. Do I find my peace by leaving whatever is troubling me and, and sub, like immersing myself into the whatever Netflix Tiger King binge? Do we re- still remember Tiger King? Is that still a thing? Do I, or what's the, uh, Queen's Gambit, that's the newest one, I think. Got all the friends are posting about that one. I think my sister was ranting about it too. There's so many, and it's always a new binge. Gosh, that sounds like an Assyrian option. I'm not saying don't enjoy your TV shows. I love TV shows. I'm wearing a Mandalorian mask. This is the way. But, is that where I'm finding my hope or my peace? My joy? Sometimes. That's pretty enjoyable. Baby Yoda vomiting on himself? Priceless. (laughs) Uh, It's a baby. They vomit all the time. It's not a spoiler. You're fine. You're fine. Where do I look for those things? This is the question that I want us to start wrestling with as we go into this week. The advent of advent, if you will. 
The next one is, how will people see you actively pursuing Christ during Advent? This kind of takes us back to that first question with that, uh, will you invest? Will I invest in celebrating Christian, Christmas? Christian? Will I invest in celebrating Christmas in a way that is going to be apparent for people? Am I going to find a way to make my gift giving set apart and represent something? And what am I going to do to make that apparent to people? Am I willing to invest in this? Or am I just going to kind of go along with the traditions of the season and, all right, and another Christmas is done. Cool. Survived. Am I willing to do the open heart surgery of preparation? Because that's what preparation for Advent means. So I have to look internally, similar to Lent during the Easter season, I have to look internally and say, I'm going to do the hard work of preparing myself for the coming of Christ. Whether that's the celebration of the coming of the birth or whether that's in preparation for the next coming. Am I willing to do the hard work and ask myself the hard questions and dig in and lean into God and stand firm? So we ask ourselves, where do we find that this season? Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side. And Logan is kicking this off because he's the one who loves Christmas the most. Uh, by comparison, I'm the Grinch, and I'm no Grinch. But by comparison to Logan Daly... I'm a Christmas Grinch, and so who better to kick off this series and 